we're going to continue our journey and our, our series talking about another pretty well-known character of the Bible. And uh, we read it all over uh, children's stories, children's books, um, very famous. And especially in our church, we talk about this book in particular uh, because of prophecy and whatnot. But it's none other than Daniel. And so we'll be looking a little bit at the book of Daniel and pinpointing a few things. Obviously, the book of Daniel has a lot to entail, but we're going to pinpoint a few things in the early uh, part of the book of Daniel and part of the story. Not really focus too much on the prophecies, which we can always just save for later. Uh, But for today, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, who he was as a person and a little bit of his story to understand how that relates to us um, in, in terms of uh, understanding the, the in-between moments of our lives. Now, uh, I want to focus on this central theme. And the central theme is this. It's in both times of prosperity and in times of persecution, we can hold on to hope in Christ. And, and so that's going to be the underlying theme that I'm going to talk about today. And you may be wondering like, well, Pastor, didn't you already talk about that like last series? And yeah, it, it is a little similar. Uh, we talked a lot about hope and the ideal that despite circumstances, you know, hope remains and there's something that we can hold on to, uh, which was the title of the series. Uh, so today you may feel like you're hearing a little bit of a shadow or a reflection of uh, the ideal of hope, but we're going to look at the finer details uh, in perspective of the book of Daniel and the position that Daniel was in to help us better understand this ideal of hope. Um, And so hopefully you can see a little bit of different uh, things and and you'll, you you most definitely will learn a little bit uh, different things than what we talked about in the Hope Remains series. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and begin by reading Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. And we'll be reading from the New King James Version. And this is what the Bible says. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Sinar to the house of his gods, his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, and whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king now from among those of the sons of judah were daniel hananiah mishael and azariah okay so first of all i want to kind of break down a bit of the beginning uh, of our main character's story by looking at the situation that he finds him in uh, himself in okay so in verse one we find that nebuchadnezzar king of babylon comes to jerusalem and besieges the city right but then very interestingly i don't know if you guys noticed this uh, when you look at verse two it says that the lord gives jehoiakim king of judah into the hands of nebuchadnezzar now this is very interesting because it's two different statements con- in concern to the same event 
Um, and I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I was like, huh, that's very interesting. The first event that we see being described in verse 1 is describing uh, the event in terms of secular history, right? While the second one is describing it in terms of biblical theology. Now, this is interesting for me at least, and hopefully to you as well, because when you look throughout Scripture, we see that there's a principle that happens time after time again, uh, even if it's not explicitly stated. You see, there are two ways of looking at life. Um, It can be viewed simply in terms of what's happening, understanding the who, the when, uh, and the what of a particular event. And this is what we normally call as history, right? You look at a history book, and a history book typically describes the who, the when, the what, just the very generic details of what actually happened. So in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1 verse 1, that's what we see. We see the historical event being laid out. But on the other hand, as Christians and a lot in biblical thought, you'll find that there is this concern to know the answer to the question of why in order to find some kind of connection to the teachings um, and mysteries of God that we find in the Bible. And that's what you find in verse 2. So you see that it's talking about the same event, but it's talking about it in two very different perspectives. One being just a historical kind of, this is what happened in history, but the other is kind of talking about it in light of God, so that we can understand the nature and the character of God. And that could be a totally different sermon uh, in itself, but hopefully what you can see here is that, that there are little glimpses of these kind of differences uh, that don't, doesn't mean that the Bible is, is wrong or there's something wrong with it or like why would they include two must have been a mistake. But rather you see the different perspectives, the theological and the historical perspective of the very same event. How in, in a Christian's set, uh, uh, point of view, it's, it's God that's that's working through this, that God is doing this rather than just, oh, well, this king just came and did that, right? So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, But anyways, Daniel begins by presenting both of these views. And the reason why that I bring this up, uh, because we have to realize that there is purpose and intention when it comes to events like this, that we have to question and wonder why things like this happen. Uh, Like, why would God allow such a thing to happen to to Jerusalem, to the city of Jerusalem where God's people is. Why did God have to give Jehoiakim, uh, the king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar? And hopefully today you'll see why um, and you'll have a better understanding of why this is the case in terms of a biblical, uh, a solid uh, overall biblical perspective. Now, um, let's look a little bit at history uh, and a little bit of the context and the background of what's going on. First of all, um, this event is taking place in a three-stage period uh, that's spanning over the time of the years 605 BC, 597 BC, and then 587 BC. So this siege of, of Jerusalem falling apart and falling into the hands of Babylon happens in three stages, right? And you can find this story, if you're curious, in the Bible in 2 Kings 24 to 2 Kings 25. But basically at the end of the 7th century and the beginning of the 6th century, we find Babylon uh, and the Babylonian Empire rising up to power and going on these conquests and expanding their nation. And Jerusalem happens to be uh, one of those cities that they go through. They, They get attacked, ransacked, and destroyed and this is where we find the beginning of the book of Daniel is during these attacks 
Now, this is a very tragic, very saddening event in the history of Jerusalem. Because why? The king had been disposed of. The furniture of God had been stolen and taken and plundered. And royals and noble young men uh, were being taken as hostages and captive. You see, the book of Daniel begins with this ideal called the exile. And the exile is a huge and super important underlying theme that I feel like it's overlooked a lot of the time, but it spans throughout the entire biblical narrative. And it even relates to us uh, to the present day in 2020. So first of all, what is exile? Um, let me share you an example with you an example. I want you to think of home. Think of the home that you're in now, or just think of whatever place for you is home. What, is, what makes a home a home? Okay, just think about it, brainstorm a little bit, share with one another. Um, but for me, a home is a home uh, when there's a loving family, right? When there's delicious food, right? The aroma of, of something cooking in the kitchen, right? Um, a, a bedroom that's comfortable, nice pillows, blankets, somewhere where you can lay your head down to rest, right? Stability for maybe some of you older people. Home is a home because there's stability, there's safety. Um, you, know, you know, these are the things or some of the characteristics that makes a home a home. But now, some people get to experience this, but many um, are not able to, right? And they're forced to leave this place that they call home and live in some foreign land and unknown territories. This is the ideal of the exile. And that's what in biblical narrative was known as going into exile, leaving something called home where there's peace and comfort, stability and safety, and having to be, in lack of better terms, evicted out of this place and forced to live in conditions that are not ideal, that are not safe, that are not comforting, that are not a place that brings security, right? This is the ideal of exile. Now, the book of Daniel begins with God's people being put into Babylonian exile. And this is, this is where you can imagine the people are questioning, when are we, we going to go home? When will we be able to return back to our place of comfort? What's next, right? It's the question that surrounds the people. But even before that, and after, you'll see that we find uh, like a prototype of exile happening over and over and over again throughout the Bible. And in order to understand where we are today, uh, it's very important that we look at the very first instance of exile, which is actually at the very beginning of the Bible. So when you look at the creation story, uh, think about think about this story. Okay, we have Adam and Eve who live in this Garden of Eden, which is considered their home, and and it's a wonderful place to be. It's it's flawless. It's like perfect. It's God's creation. Like it's just a beautiful place to be, and this is their place of safety, comfort, and uh, security. But the condition in order for them to stay at the home is what? It's, it's to follow God. It's to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or in other words, it's to trust that God has the best in mind for them and to obey God by not eating from that tree, right? But as we know how the story goes, it doesn't end that way, right? It doesn't, it's not a happy ever after. Uh, they fail to trust in God and trust in his plan. They eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the consequence of that is banishment from the garden, right? Or in other words, they're sent into this type of exile, right? Now, 
That sets us up for another story, right? The story of Israel. Now think about how the Israelites have, you know, after wandering, have obtained the promised land and they're able to stay under the condition that they remain faithful to the covenant of God and worship God and God alone. But as we know, those, those pesky Israelites just can't seem to worship God and only God alone, right? They're so caught up in their, in their past and their history that they're worshiping other gods. And so the consequence of that is, pun- is exile, right? So they're punished and sent out into exile. So hopefully you see that there is this pattern that happens where exile is this thing where they're being evicted or kicked out of a place in which is considered their home. And when we look at the book of Daniel, it's no different, that there's this similar pattern where they were in the city of Jerusalem and, and because Babylon, the Babylonian Empire comes and, and wipes them out and, and basically evicts them out of their home, this is the end of, of Jerusalem being this independent uh, country of, 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 of place to worship God, right? And they fall apart and this is where we find the Babylonian exile and we find Daniel, our main character, here. Now, if we look at history, uh, we know that eventually the Israelites uh, eventually are able to go back home, right? That after all of this happens and when we fast forward to the New Testament and we see Jesus, we see that the Israelites are allowed and, and able to go back to Jerusalem. But, but when they get to their home, home is no longer this lovely, comfortable place of security, uh, of, of safety. The, the pl- home is no longer that anymore. Right? We find that they come back to this place of home and now they're under foreign impression, oppression. Their idol worship was still an issue. Uh, there was a lot of problems and home was, it didn't really feel like home for these people. Now, exile, uh, not only does it point to the biblical narrative and the things that happen in the Bible, exile actually points to our present day as well. Right? And it's a reality that we face even today, right? We may li- all live in, in a home as I'm, you know, I live here in LA and I live in this home, but we're situated in this world of evil, in this world of pain, suffering, death, broken relationships, violence. You know, this past week, like we see the city of Minneapolis on fire um, and the rioting and all of this stuff happening that, that this may be our, our home, but It just doesn't feel like it because it's so filled with evil and oppression and all these terrible things. Hear me out. When we look at the Bible, exile is the human condition. You see, we as humans all fall into this this exile prototype. We're all in this exile. And we find ourselves being oppressed. We find ourselves hurting in pain experiencing all the things of this this world of sin and shame. And ultimately, the thing about the exile, when these people are going through the exile, there's one thing that they're they're holding on to, is they're longing to go home. And how relevant is that to us today? That we are trudging through this world in exile, and yes, this may be our home, but there's a home in which we long for, a place that is so much better, a, play, a place of no more sorrow, weeping, and suffering. We are all in exile. And that's why I think this theme of exile that gets overlooked a lot of the times in the Bible is so relevant to us in 2020. Because we are all seeking a better place. 
just like the Israelites were seeking for a place called their home. And eventually we see in the New Testament that they're also seeking for for a Messiah, right? It's this ideal of let's get out of this exile and this, this corruption and this terrible mess that we may find ourselves in. You see, Daniel and the Israelites, they were taken into exile. And they all had this hope and this longing that one day they would be able to get back to a better home. And even Daniel himself, he held on to this promise. He understood this. Now, with this in mind, um, when the Israelites were taken into Babylonian exile, uh, they either there was two things or supposedly two options in which they could react. One, they could have revolted or they, they withdrew. Okay? Or two, they would compromise and they would adopt the new lifestyle of Babylon and accept the new gods. And you may think that if they were taken captive or if you were taken captive and you were put into exile in a foreign land, that these may seem to be the only two options for you. But very interestingly, the Bible presents a third option. And the prophet Jeremiah tells the Israelites that when they go into this Babylonian exile, that that they are going to be called to do something different, right? And it's actually very surprising. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 to 7. This is what it says. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Now this, I don't know about you guys, but but God and the prophet Jeremiah is presenting a third option. You don't have to revolt or withdraw and, and run away. You don't have to compromise and adopt the gods of, of this foreign land. But he's telling them to go settle, to build houses, plant crops, have families, and then even seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to God for them because their peace is your peace. Now, this is interesting, right? This third way is not revolt. It's not compromise. And, and the book of Daniel paints a picture of what that looks like, right? You may be wondering, like, okay, pastor, what is this third option? If it's not compromise, if it's not revolting, then exactly what is it? Is it just living there? Like, what is that? But that's why I love the book of Daniel. Of course, the prophecy is one thing. But if you look at the story and look at the way that they live their life and the challenges that they face, you'll see that they're living out what Jeremiah instructed them to do, right? Um, yeah, so the book of Daniel paints this image and this picture of what that looks like. Living under oppression and living in a foreign land, yet remaining faithful and committed to following God. And I think that's so relevant to us today as we live in this world through the sin of, of many other idols and gods as I've shared before, right? Not necessarily like statues of different gods, of the Assyrian gods or whatever, but, but of, of, of television, of, of music, of celebrities, of whatever it may be, your phone, right? That, that despite while we live in this land that's filled with all of this, 
right? That, that God is calling us to live a different lifestyle, to be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that saying before, right? Don't be, in, don't be of the world, just be in it, because there is a home that is coming soon for us. But anyways, that could be a totally different sermon, and we're not going to do that. Anyways, Daniel shows us this living example of, of what it looks like. Of how Jeremiah calls the people of Israel, who find themselves in exile, to live in a different way. To stand up for their faith, despite the circumstances and the uncertainty, the risk of death or fears that they may have. And they choose to respond in this nonviolent way, while at the same time maintaining their faithfulness and their loyalty to God. Right? And if you think about the stories where, where Daniel or, or his three friends draw a, a very fine line, a very clear line, saying that we are not going to worship your God. We, we, will, we will go through your services. We will go through all of this. We will serve you diligently, but we will not bow down to your statue. Right? So they draw this fine line while maintaining their faith and loyalty to God. Now, I also want to look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, because there was something very interesting that I actually didn't notice until uh, most recently while I was preparing for this sermon. Daniel chapter uh, 1, verse 7 says this. It says, To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Right? Now, this is really interesting because in children's stories and in adaptations of, of, of uh, Daniel and his friends, a lot of the times they keep Daniel's original name and they refer to him as Daniel. And, but then his three friends usually get referred to the, his, their new um, um, Babylonian names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, now, as I mentioned before, as God's people are taken into this Babylonian exile, they become a minority people, they live in a foreign land, and uh, have options in how to respond to this uh, exile. Clearly, Daniel and his three friends choose this third route, as we see throughout the story of Daniel. Um, and uh, they continue to serve Babylon and seek their well-being, but yet they continue to draw that fine line between their faith and the influences of Babylon. And we see here in verse 7 that they also were renamed. And it's funny, uh, like I said, that we, we tend to refer to Daniel as his Hebrew name. But when it comes to his friends, we just refer to them as the, the Babylonian names. But there's so much more power when we understand the meaning uh, of their original names in the Hebrew. Uh, and you'll see why. Um, because their names uh, give light to their purpose, to their mission, and to their goal as individuals. You see, the Hebrew names that they have all honor God. Okay? You see, Daniel's name translates to God is my judge or, or Elohim is my judge. Hananiah, that name translates to Yahweh is gracious or God is gracious. Mishael translates to who is like God. And, and Azariah translates to God helps or Yahweh helps. You see, and when we read these, these four names all together, what's so beautiful is that it not only reveals the attributes of who God is, but it also points to God who is to them, right? As their birth names remind them 
of the God that they are worshiping. Now, I don't know about you. When I found out about this and looked at the Hebrew of their names, I didn't realize how powerful their names were. But it was because of, of this upbringing that they had and the names that they held on so close to them that, that this dictated and helped guide them in their times of uncertainty and their times of difficulty. And I think that's so, so fascinating to us because despite being renamed, and re-identified by this world. The challenge is, let us remember our God-given identity as our source for hope and faithfulness. So you may ask, Pastor, what is our God-given identity? In one of my first sermons here, uh, I think it was in October of 2018, I believe, um, I shared you with you guys the ABCs of our God-given identity. Uh, and I'll show you an image from that sermon uh, but you can see there's the ABCs of what, what you are to God, right? right? You are personally chosen by God, Ephesians 1.4. You are loved unconditionally by God, John 3.16. You are victorious in Christ, 2 Corinthians 15.57. Like, it's so beautiful, right? That your God-given image and your God-given identity is right in the Bible. It's right here, right? And, and just like Daniel and his three friends lived by their God-given identity, right? The challenge for us today is that we also, rather than being identified by the things of this world, to be identified by what God calls you to be. That you are a child of God, and God intentionally did that, and God wants you to remember that. Despite the state of exile that we may find ourselves in, let us remember that we can be reminded and be reminded that we can hold on to our faith and our hope that there will be a better day, that there will be a better home and something that we can all look forward to. You see, just like Daniel, church, I want to challenge you to stand up like Daniel stands, to stand loyal to what God has called us to be and to not forget that God-given identity. Now, when we think about the exile, um, so far I've painted this picture that seems to be uh, pretty negative for the most part. But I do want to uh, tell you that Daniel's time in exile was not necessarily all bad. Right? Consider this. Out of all the captives, he and his three friends were selected to be a part of the king's palace. Right? To work in the palace to be... They were hand-selected because of their good looks. I mean, look at verse 4. I'll just read what it says. It says, Young men in whom there were no blemish, blemish good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, the ability to serve in the king's palace, who might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Right? This is, this is fascinating, right? Because of his status, because of where he was, that he was chosen to be put in a pretty well-off position. Right, his position wasn't bad at all. Um, he actually probably had one of the greater positions of being a captive. Um, he is wise. He had a good job. He had influence with King Nebuchadnezzar. Right, interpreting dreams. Uh, he had the trust of the enemy king. Like, think about that. Right, enemy king as in King Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Now, exile wasn't necessarily bad. Uh, and Daniel, despite these situations and circumstances that he found himself in. Uh, he strove and he, he strived every day to serve God in all that he did rather than revolting or conforming. 
to the kingdom. And I think this is interesting because when we look at the backdrop of Daniel, uh, with Daniel being in exile and the terrible state of what exile means and taking them away from their homes um, and being forced to live in this terrible foreign land, despite this reality, Daniel continues to serve God regardless, and he chooses that path. And for me, like when I study this and I look at the life of Daniel, it always just makes me wonder, like, why? Like, how is that even possible? Like, that's that's so discouraging because there's like no end date. Like, you just don't know. Like, you could die during your time of exile. Like, how saddening is that? But this is why I believe that it's hope that holds David's faith together. Right? But not only when things are well. Right? And when life was going swell, but Daniel continues to serve God and hold on to the hope uh, in times of his persecution. Right? And probably one of the most well-known stories uh, for children when it comes to Daniel is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Right? So at this point in time, uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit to, to this, this particular story. Um, in, in chapter 6, it is. Uh, Daniel, who was once a young lad, well, he was probably, you know, historians say that he was probably like 17 or 18 uh, when he was first taken into exile. And when we get to chapter 6 of Daniel, where it's Daniel's in the lion's den, they say he was probably about 70 to 75 years old at this time. So he's lived through three different kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, King uh, Belshazzar, and the king, uh, who was the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. And now uh, he's living with, or he's dealing with the king that's in rule, which is King Darius, who was the Mede. Now, this is what's interesting, is that despite the fact that he's now had to deal with three different kings, Daniel has stuck out and and become one of these diligent, uh, reliable servants uh, in this worldly kingdom, while at the same time, he continued to stay devout and loyal to God. Now, the story is well known. Um, We're not going to read through all of it, but let me just tell you a little bit of the summary. So Daniel was one of the three governors initially that King King Darius appointed, but then uh, Daniel kind of excelled uh, very much so in his assigned role. And of course, if one person is excelling, just think about somebody in your class or maybe even your sibling that just excels all of a sudden and then all of a sudden gets all this love and attention and more responsibility and you're just like, eh, like I want to be there, but I'm not there. And so that was kind of what was going on there. Uh, The other governors and the satraps, uh, these guys are now filled with jealousy and they're just like, man, like, how come Daniel is so good? Like, he's not even one of us. He's one of those those people from Jerusalem, those captives from, you know, like 60 years ago. And look at him. Like, what are we? Right. And so they're filled with jealousy. So what do they do? The, the most natural thing to do is like, let's get rid of him. Right. And so they create this really weird law uh, that was supposedly trapped Daniel. And the law was for the next 30 days, no one can... Um, make any petition to God or to man other than King Darius. Uh, and if caught, the punishment would be thrown into a den of lions, right? How, how uh, interesting and how unique and original. But Daniel had other plans um, or uh, maybe didn't really have any plans at all. Uh, we find in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was uh, signed, he went home. And in his upper room, uh, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now the key word I've, I've highlighted here, as was 
his customs since early days. You see, this says so much about Daniel's faith. And this is something, uh, this is the last thing uh, that I'd like to highlight uh, for our message today. You see, prayer to God was not something that he decided to do all of a sudden because he faced uh, uh, this kind of persecution. It wasn't something that he thought he could do because he was waiting for that moment to rebel against the king. And so now was the time for him to pray. You see, this was something that was his custom. Or in other words, this was his ritual. This was the norm for him since his early days. You see, church, hear me out on this. Faith doesn't happen overnight. It is cultivated and built over time through experiences, by trials and tribulations, and ultimately faithfulness and obedience to God. You see, there was no doubt in Daniel's mind that he could simply get on his knees and pray when times of trials and tribulations faced him. And get this, it wasn't like he was preparing. Like I said, he wasn't preparing for this moment so that he could attack and rebel against the king. He wasn't thinking to himself, well, like maybe if I start building this prayer life now, like eventually I'll use this in trials and tribulations. No, it was just simply his way of living. This is just how Daniel lived his life. It was his way of expressing faith, his way of practicing it and living it out. You see, I think, church, this is a message that's so important for us to learn and remember as well. You see, we build our faith over time through experience, through trials, through tribulations, okay, through our daily devotions, through our prayers, to our, our, our listening to the messages at church or just being a part of a community. You see, when we do this, we are building a faith that's ready to persevere through the in-between moments of our lives, those moments of fear, and those moments of uncertainty. You see, I think one of the biggest questions um, that, that I used to face growing up was, was like, God, like, where are you when, when things are going down south and things are not working out? Like, God, where are you? Like, God, what are you doing? But I think we have to remember that faith is not a tool that's used in moments of despair. Faith is a lifestyle that when we approach those moments of despair, trials and tribulations, it's not to prevent those things from happening, but rather it's help us to persevere through those things that are happening. And I think we as a church have sometimes forgotten that, that that faith is not just a tool that we're using to get us through certain things or to prevent certain things from happening. Faith is, the, is, is a lifestyle that gives us the hope and the courage to carry on and to hold on to something stronger than what we know in this world. And I think this is so beautiful, you know, like if you look at this iconic scene of Daniel in the lion's den, when we fast forward and Daniel gets thrown into this lion's den, we find the joy that this King Darius this, this pagan king has when he finds Daniel uneaten by the lions. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 23, it says, Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And that church is so beautiful. You see, Daniel puts his faith in God through times of struggle and difficulty through trial and adversity, while also putting his faith in God through times of prosperity and peace. 
for more than 70 years of his life. This is how Daniel lives. You see, I believe, church, that Daniel's faith was tethered in God. It was tethered in God, and the thing that held it together was hope. For those in exile, the hope of God's redemption was at the core of continuing life. It was what pushed them to keep going. The hope that God would pull through and carry them to the promised land. This is what they needed to keep going and to keep holding on to God. Now, of course, when we look at the Israelite nation, there were people that had fallen and messed up and conformed to the world that was around them. But there was still people that were following God that were saying, all I need is to look back at the stories of of old, to see how God had provided before. And as God has provided before, we will hold on to the hope that there will be better days. And this is what held the people's faith together, and even more so, held the faith of Daniel together. Daniel knew that the exile was not something that was going to be permanent, that it wasn't the end of the story. And you'll see next week, as, as we talk more about people like Abraham and Moses, you see, Daniel reflected in his prayers and studying of the stories, the oral traditions that were passed down over time about his forefathers. And, and for Daniel, it was a reminder that God would still redeem and save people in worse times. And, and yet, despite those times, that God was the God that we could continue to put our trust and faith in. You see, they longed for a better day. They longed for a better tomorrow. And that longing and that hope was more than enough to keep them in their faith with God. Church, I think we are in the same position as we as human beings are in exile. As we live in this world, this very temporary world of ours. And as we long and seek for the day that Jesus returns to take us home. Let us look back at our forefathers. Let us look back at the stories of the Bible and see how God has been a merciful and a redeeming God. So that we can put our hope in that promise that God has for us. Church, that is my prayer and that is my hope for you today. Let us pray.